0: You know, the truth is, everyone is seeking something (laughs) in this life. In fact, I think if you went out into the city and randomly asked people what it is they're pursuing more than anything else in their lives, you would probably get a lot of different answers. And yet, if you could boil all of those answers down to the most basic motivations behind them, The very essence of those answers, I believe, would constitute a much shorter list, because at the end of the day, most people want the same things. We want to be happy. We want to be fulfilled. We want to feel secure, healthy, provided for, right? We want to be loved. And, of course, we could probably add a few more to that list, but I don't think it's a very long list. Most people yearn for the same basic needs in their lives, and that is true inside and outside of the church. Christians and non-Christians alike ultimately have the same basic needs. The difference between those outside of the church and those who are members of the family of God is what we recognize as the source of those needs, right? People who are not followers of Jesus Christ, they may look to family primarily or to career or uh, to money, to addictions, to other relationships or or to certain behaviors to provide them with the happiness or fulfillment or security or love that they're looking for, while Christians look to, uh, or at least we should be looking to, Jesus Christ to supply our every need, our every longing, even beyond our greatest desires. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote to the church, my God, will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus Philippians 4:19 So just to be clear God doesn't supply our every need according to our needs He supplies our every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus which by the way happens to be an inexhaustible supply of not only everything that we need, but far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, Ephesians 3.20. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, that probably isn't a new revelation for you. You probably understand that quite well already. I hope you do. However, what I'm not what I'm not sure is quite so universally understood among Christians today is how we go about receiving all that we need and more from Jesus Christ because there are an awful lot of believers trying to earn it hoping to do enough to trigger a benevolent response from God into giving them what they're looking for. At the same time, there are other Christians hoping that if they plead with God enough, maybe they can coax him into supplying their need. And yet, there are other followers of Jesus who are constantly trying to prove themselves worthy, trying to prove their faithfulness in the hopes of gaining enough favor with God that he will give them what they're asking for. Now look, as Christians... We should be doing as much as we can for God. Absolutely we should. Again, Paul writes to the church, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Yes, we should be committed to as much prayer as humanly possible, sharing our needs and our desires with him. Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Yes, we should, of course, exercise faithfulness in everything that we do, every moment of our lives. Paul says it's one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. As Christians, we should be doing all of that. And yet none of those things in and of themselves convince God to want to bless us and take care of us. Because no matter how good you are, no matter how well you behave, no matter how hard you try, you are never going to impress God enough into supplying that need in your life. Okay, there's only one place where all your needs and more can be found and it is not in your works. It is not in twisting his arm and it is not in your performance. No, everything that we need in this life and the next can only be found as we abide in Christ Jesus. His desire to bless and provide for you comes out of relationship, not religious behavior. We all want our kids to work hard right, and to obey and to ask us for things in the right way. Because that is how they learn and grow into the men and women we want them to become. But at the end of the day, the reason we provide for them isn't because of their performance. It's not because they've proven themselves worthy. No. We provide for them because of the relationship that we have with them. They're our children and as their parents we love them and we want to bless them simply because of that relationship. Now If your child ignores you most of the time, right? They're happy to live in your house, to eat from your table, to benefit from the many blessings you provide for them each day, but they have no real interest in having a relationship with you whatsoever. They never approach you or pursue time with you or engage you in conversation or relationship with you other than when they want you to give them something. If you're a parent, You know how difficult that can be. You still provide for their basic needs, of course, but who wants to lavish their child with blessings beyond anything they could ask or think when they don't want to have anything to do with you? That doesn't mean you love them any less. Of course not. There's nothing that can change the way we love our kids. But how we interact with them is always based on the relationship that we have with them. It has to be. Not because we don't want to be close to them, but because we cannot be close to them if they refuse to be close to us. And of course, kids, that goes both ways. You see, it's like that with God. He wants to be close to you. In the Acts of the Apostles, speaking of God, Luke writes, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Now, why would God bother to do all of that? Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us, Acts 17, 26, and 27. You see, God wants us to seek him. He created us for that purpose, in fact, that we would seek out relationship with him. And it is in that relationship that our needs are met, which begs the question, then how exactly do I have a relationship with God? Well, there's only one correct answer to that question, and his name is Jesus Christ. There is no other way. To see God, you must see Jesus. To understand God's love for you, you must understand what Jesus did for you. And to experience God, you must experience Jesus Christ. There is no other way, because at the end of all things, Jesus Christ is the final word, which just happens to be, of course, the subject matter of this letter to the Hebrews which is our text for our next sermon series where Jesus is center stage on display in the most profound of ways to the Hebrew Christians of the first century who were experiencing pressure and some persecution to return to their former religion from their fellow Jews and so the author takes great pains to remind them who it is they've walked away from religion for. So the author is reminding them here. It was written, by the way, in the last part of the first uh, century A.D. to encourage these Christians, to remind these Jewish Christians to refocus their lives once again, not on a religion, but on a relationship with Jesus Christ, which, of course, uh, is as relevant for us today as it was for Christians in the first century. And so we're going to work our way through this letter or what many scholars believe is actually a sermon written to these Hebrew Christians and as we go we will keep the Old Testament people of God in view as we've just finished working through the book of Judges because Hebrews is probably the single greatest book in all of Scripture that ties the two together. Okay, There are 29 quotations and 53 allusions to the Old Testament in Hebrews alone. 82 references in all. Uh, St. August, in referring to the Old and New Testaments, once said the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed, to which R.C. Sproul says the bridge between the two is Hebrews. Right, So we, we cannot very well study Hebrews without the Old Testament in view. And just in case you're curious, we don't know for certain uh, who wrote the letter. This has been debated forever, and I guess it probably will be. The earliest statement that we have on the authorship of Hebrews is from Clement of Alexandria in the late 1st century or early 2nd century who said that Paul wrote the letter in Hebrew, and then Luke translated it into Greek. Uh, there's some compelling evidence, by the way, to support Paul as the author, which we won't take the time to go through now. And yet, uh, in the early 2nd century, the Christian author Tertullian said that Barnabas wrote Hebrews, although he doesn't offer a lot of evidence for that argument. The 16th century theologian Martin Luther believed that Apollos wrote Hebrews. The 19th century German theologian Adolf Harnack believed that Priscilla and Aquila wrote Hebrews together. Uh, believe me, the list goes on and on and on. The truth is, we don't know for sure, although Paul is uh, certainly the leading candidate among the majority of scholars and historians. So keeping all of that in mind, let's jump into the text. Because this is such a short chapter, we're going to go ahead and read through the entirety of chapter one right off the bat. It's only uh, 14 verses so that we can hopefully grasp the sheer scope of what the author is actually trying to tell us about Jesus Christ, which is nothing short of breathtaking. And so after we read it through, we'll go back to the beginning and unpack it a bit from there, okay? So let's read it together, Hebrews chapter one. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, and I just want to pause and say when he's, that phrase in these last days is a direct uh, reference to the days of the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for, but many obviously hadn't recognized as Jesus. So he's making a clear indication here to these Hebrews, reminding them we are in the days of the Messiah. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But the son of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. You can clearly see the separation between the angels and Jesus, who he is describing as a king. Verse 10, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So the letter opens up with long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. Now keep in mind who the audience of this letter was. These were Hebrew people who were well familiar with the stories from their own ancestors in the Old Testament times where God spoke at many times and in many ways. To Pharaoh, Right, he spoke through the plagues in Exodus 7-11. through 11. To Moses, he spoke through a burning bush in Exodus 3 and later through a storm and thunder in Exodus 19 and 20. To King Belshazzar, through a supernatural writing on the wall in Daniel 5. To Balaam, he spoke through a donkey in Numbers 22. To Elijah, by a still small voice in 1 Kings 19. To the priests, through the casting of lots throughout the Old Testament. To Isaiah, through a heavenly vision in Isaiah 6. To Hosea, through a family crisis in Hosea 1-2. To Amos, by way of a basket of fruit in Amos 8-1. And of course, to the people of God through the prophets of God. And yet now, now he says everything has changed because now I'm speaking to you directly by my son, Jesus Christ. Pastor David Gusick wrote, using the properties of light as an illustration, we may say that God spoke in a spectrum in the Old Testament. Jesus is a prism that collected all those bands of light and focused them into one pure beam. You see, all the prophets and all the visions and all of the visitations of angels and all of the supernatural messages from God, they all pointed to the moment when he would speak His final word, the moment when the greatest of all prophets, the high priest to rule all others, the one who is superior to the angels, the king above all other kings and Lord above all lords would come to this earth with the final word of truth for a world that is groping around in the dark, searching for meaning in every possible pursuit other than Jesus Christ. Yet it's not just for unbelievers, because I know Christians who are still looking for their their burning bush moment outside of an encounter with Christ. People who are trying to find their calling, their direction and fulfillment in life in pursuits other than a deeper relationship with Him. Those who believe in Him, but they haven't yet accepted Him as the final word in their life, as if Jesus somehow isn't enough. So they chase after miracles. They chase after signs and wonders. They chase after material prosperity. They chase after the words of others. Listen, I believe that God performs miracles today. I do. I believe that he blesses people materially. I believe that he speaks to us at times through other people. But all of those things are simply byproducts of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, that's the part. We have to focus on, which means for us, Jesus is to be our only point of reference for this life and how to live it. He is our greatest pursuit for the Christian. Jesus Christ is the final word. There is no other. There's no other philosophy. There's no other creed. There's no other conviction that we live our lives by than Jesus Christ. There's no greater cause. There's no greater commitment. There's no greater purpose that we live for than Jesus Christ. There's nothing we're as loyal to, nothing we're as invested in, and nothing we are as passionate about than Jesus Christ. So ask yourself, What am I looking for in this life? What am I chasing after? If the answer to that question is anything other than a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ first, then you will never receive far more abundantly than all you could ask or think. Not until that changes in your life. You understand, not because Jesus wants you to perform for him, but because he wants you to pursue him. He wants you To pursue a deeper relationship with him. It's why David said my soul clings to you. In Psalm 63.8 some versions say my soul follows hard after thee. Because David knew that it was only in relationship with God. Clinging to him. Following him. That he would finally find what he was looking for. And for us. If we want all that God created us for, that means, that means putting our relationship with Christ above everything else in our lives. Looking to him before we look to anyone else because there is no religion. There's no other spiritual pursuit. There's no amount of material wealth. There's no other pathway to God and all that he offers us outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the point the author is trying to convey here in verse 3, where we're going to spend the rest of our time today, because the Jewish community in the first century, they were trying to convince the Christian community, particularly the Jewish Christians, that the only pathway to God and all that he promises his people is by returning to their religion and their religious practices. And so the author of Hebrews refutes those claims by pointing these early Christians right back to Jesus Christ. He says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. In other words, if you want to see God, you must look to Jesus, which means looking at the way he lived his life, looking at the links he went to to be in relationship with his followers, the way that he loved them and cared for them and taught them and, yes, even corrected them and rebuked them and shared himself With them. You find out quickly that no matter the circumstances, Jesus had the final word. Why? Because he was God in the flesh. The way he fed thousands of people when there wasn't enough food, the way he calmed the storm with the words he spoke, the the way he healed the sick who were helplessly dying, the way he gave hope to the hopeless, loving those who no one else would by offering them the truth about himself that would change their lives for eternity. The reason his disciples were able to experience all of that is not because they were looking for all of that or constantly asking him to do something special for them. No, his disciples experienced all that Jesus did simply because they were following him everywhere he went. It's because they were in such close proximity to Jesus all the time that when it came time for him to do something extraordinary, they were there to experience it, to benefit from it firsthand. Okay, listen, if you need God to move in your life today, I'm not telling you not to ask. Of course you should ask. The apostle Peter says to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. First Peter 5, 7 So yes, of course, we ask him to supply our needs. But listen, even before you ask him for a miracle, before you seek signs and wonders, before you look to him for provision, before you ask him to meet that need, look to Jesus for relationship. Pursue a close proximity to him first. Make that your number one priority. And then when it comes time to do the extraordinary You will be there to receive it because Jesus is the final word. When the author here says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the word radiance in the ancient Greek also means reflection. And the word glory in that same verse is a description of the divine presence and splendor of God. Much like the Ark of the Covenant radiated or reflected the divine presence and splendor of God in the temple in the Old Testament. You see, he was trying to get across to these Hebrew Christians that what the Old Testament priests would partially experience at the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, these followers of Jesus could now fully experience in the person of Jesus Christ, whose spirit now dwells inside of those who have received him. So why go back to looking for what only God can provide, all the things that we long for in this life, all the things we know that we need, why go back to looking for all of that in dead religion, in worthless pursuits, in endless works, when it is only available through a relationship with Jesus Christ? Listen, if you need God to move in your life today, look to Jesus Christ If your heart needs mending, look to Jesus Christ. If your body needs healing... Look to Jesus Christ if, if you're in desperate need of forgiveness. Look to Jesus Christ if you're searching for freedom. Look to Jesus Christ if you're overwhelmed by sorrow. Look to Jesus Christ if you cannot find peace. Look to Jesus Christ if you've run out of provision. Look to Jesus Christ no matter what the world is telling you about your life. Look to Jesus Christ because no matter how deep the hurt, how difficult your circumstances, how hopeless the situation, how impossible the road ahead may seem to you, Jesus Christ is the final word. And by the way, if the world, those who do not belong to Jesus if they're going to experience the radiance of Christ, then they're going to experience it through you. The Apostle Paul said, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. You see, that's one of the other benefits of being with Jesus. We radiate his glory to the rest of the world, which comes directly out of an ever-deepening relationship with him. Let's continue. The next part of verse 3 it says, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. In other words, if you want to understand God, you must understand Jesus. Now, in one sense, of course, we could never hope to understand all that God is, as he spoke through the prophet Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah fifty-five, eight and nine. Romans eleven thirty-four says, Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Okay we cannot presume to ever fully understand an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, uncreated God. But to the extent that he grants us understanding, we can only hope to grasp the nature of God by holding on to Jesus with everything inside of us, by pursuing his word as we pursue a relationship with him. Referring to God, the great scholar F.F. Bruce once said, His word was not completely uttered until Christ came. But when Christ came, the word spoken in him was indeed God's final word. In him, all the promises of God meet with the answering yes, which seals their fulfillment to his people and evokes from them an answering amen. The story of divine revelation is a story of progression up to Christ, but there is no progression beyond him. Why is there no progression beyond Christ? Because Jesus Christ is the final word. Which means there's nothing to seek beyond his word that supersedes it, that exceeds it, that even compares to it. So why do we even try? Scholar George Guthrie says the exalted Jesus of the New Testament is being recast variously today as cynic philosopher, charismatic man of the spirit, an eschatological prophet, a prophet of social change and a sage. Well, why do we try to make Jesus into something less than what he actually is? Well, maybe it's because he's not as much of a threat to our other pursuits that way, right? If he was just a thoughtful guy with a lot of great wisdom or just a warrior for social justice or just a deep thinker who set a great example for how we should treat other people, but not the very nature of God himself, because then Jesus is easier to manage. He's easier to re- relegate to some corner of our lives where we attend to his word on Sundays, maybe, maybe a few other religious days throughout the year, but we push it aside when it's time to get down to the serious business of life. Maybe that's why we sometimes try to understand him as something less than who he actually is because, listen, if, if Jesus really is God, then his word, every bit of it, is true. And of course, that's where things get messy. Because as you begin to understand his word, it touches every single aspect of your life, whether you want it to or not. It shines a light in every dark corner and every deep place until you can no longer keep buried the parts of your life that stand in contradiction to his word until eventually you're faced with the stark reality of either allowing the final word of Jesus Christ to shape your life or to continue denying it as absolute and objective truth that that must be heeded in every single area of your life. Origen, a second century Christian scholar wrote, wisdom has her existence nowhere else save in him who is the beginning of all things, from whom also is derived everything that is wise because he himself is the only one who is by nature a son and therefore termed the only begotten. You see, all truth flows from Jesus Christ. Because he is the only begotten son of God. He is the final word. And that word must be understood and obeyed if we are to be able to understand and obey God. But here's the whole point. Understanding and obeying God does not come from trying harder. It doesn't come from more religious behavior in your life as the first century Jews were trying to convince these Christians it did. No. Understanding. And obeying God's word comes directly from deepening your relationship with Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become, we might become the righteousness of God in Him, You see, it's through our relationship with Christ that we understand and become like him. It is through our relationship with him that we understand and obey his word. By the way, it's also through our relationship with him that his nature is seen in us to the rest of the world. If those who are without Jesus or to have any hope at all of understanding God's nature, if they're to be drawn to Christ, it will only be because his Holy Spirit in you, the very nature of God himself in you is drawing them to him. We will never win souls for Christ through clever arguments or religious behavior. Never. Never. It is only the spirit of Christ in us who can draw men and women to himself. Why? Because he is the final word. Let's read the last part of verse 3. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe The universe by the word of his power. Just to be clear, the antecedent, for all of you English geeks like me, the antecedent to the pronoun his, just before the word power in that verse, is Christ rather than God. In other words, when it says he upholds the universe by the word of his power, the word his is referring directly to Jesus Christ. The Australian scholar Peter O'Brien writes, the creative utterance of the Father that brought the universe into being, Hebrews eleven three, 3, is matched by the sustaining utterance of the Son. And so just as the Father spoke the universe into existence by his word, the Son sustains the universe by his word. You see, if you want to experience God, you must experience Jesus. Which means it's not enough to just understand, to just know about him. You must know him. You must encounter him. It's not enough to study his word. It's not enough to pray. It's not enough to follow his commands. No amount of religious activity can ever take the place of actually knowing and experiencing Jesus Christ. And yet what is truly astounding is the fact that we have been invited to enter into a personal relationship with the very one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Are you kidding me? You cannot read this and believe it without it changing your life. But you also cannot experience it until you experience Him. The power of God is in operation in your life when the Spirit of Christ is in operation in your life. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father, John 14, 12. You understand what he's saying here. We wonder how we're going to get through these things we face in life. And yet the power of Christ inside of us is ready to do greater works than Jesus did when he was on this earth. We don't have a clue the power that we carry inside of us. He said the promise, I'm going to send you my spirit, you will receive power. He said when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth, Acts 1.8. You see, the power of Christ operates in those who are filled with the spirit of Christ, which is a result of knowing him. When you pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ, he fills you with his spirit and the power of God is then resident Inside of you, and that power of the Spirit of Christ inside you is more powerful than any other power on earth. It is the final word, which means there's no evil that can overtake you, there's no struggle that can defeat you. There's no enemy that can ruin you. There's no affliction that can stop you. There's no attack that can destroy you. There's no obstacle that can keep you from becoming all that he created you to become when you have the spirit of Christ living inside of you because he is the final word. Should you work hard? To live righteously before God, to obey His commands. Of course, you should. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Sp- uh, should you spend time, a lot of time, in His Word? Absolutely. Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, 4. Should you pray earnestly and often? Of course, without question, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Matthew 6, 6 and 7. So yes, We should do all of that and yet all of those important disciplines only have meaning in the context of a meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ. There's only one place where all your needs and more can be met and it is not in your works, it is not in the twisting of his arm and it is not in your good religious performance. Everything that we need in this life and the next can only be found in Christ Jesus. His desire to bless and provide for you comes out of relationship, not religious behavior. So pursue him before anything and everything else in your life. And whatever the need is, whatever the struggle you're facing, whatever obstacle is standing in your way, he can meet that need. He can see you through that struggle and he can overcome that obstacle in your life because Jesus Christ is the final word. And to be sure, whatever the provision is that you need in your life right now, it will come to you out of a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray.